All right. Well, good morning, church. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Now, there's no shame in opening up to the table of contents, all right? Jonah is a tricky book to find. It's only four chapters long, so I'd invite you to just go to the table of contents. You'll find Jonah there in the last 12 books of the Old Testament, a section of Scripture that's been known as the uh, Minor Prophets, and it goes Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So right there squeezed between Obadiah and Micah, you'll find the book of Jonah. And as you're turning there, I want to share with you a story I was reading about that took place on U.S. Highway 95 in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. Now, who here has been to Bonners Ferry, Idaho? All right, I see the hands in the back. Yeah, okay, all right. No, I'm just kidding. No hands in the back, all right? It was a long shot, but I just wanted to see, all right? But uh, I was reading about a story there. There was a lady there named Nita, and she was a lady in her 60s uh, who had done something while driving that made police concerned for her. And so uh, they pulled up behind her, flipped on their lights, and uh, were trying to get her to pull over. Uh, but, but, but what happens next is a little strange and unusual because Nita decides to not pull over, but instead to run from the police. Now, the thing that makes this a really interesting and unique car chase is that as she attempts to run from the police throughout the entire 15-mile car chase through two different counties, the entire time, Nita stays under the speed limit. She uses her turn signals. She, she stops at stop signs. She waits behind people that are making a left turn. She honored a school zone. And so the, 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 the police are kind of baffled by this, but finally they get her to stop by putting a spike strip in the road that she drives over. And finally, as the tires deflate, uh, her car comes to a stop. And the police are just baffled by this. It was one of the most unique car chases they had ever been a part of. Because this lady, while running from the law, also seemed determined to keep the law. (laughs) She was resisting authority. She really was. She was resisting authority. And yet she was still trying to keep some of the rules. And this morning, we start to preach through the book of Jonah. And we're calling the the sermon series, uh, we've titled it Runners, Rebels, and the Persistent Grace of God. And here's what I mean by that title, okay? When I refer to rebels, uh, I'm talking about someone who is obviously and outwardly rebellious towards God, right? In our story, we're going to learn about the Ninevites some, right? Just some blatant rebellion and uh, uh, showing no regard for God at all, uh, uh, obviously uh, uh, rebelling against the Lord. But what we will see in this series is that rebels are not the only ones in the world that resist God's word, that resist God's will, that resist God's authority. Rebels are not the only ones. We also have runners, We also have runners who are like Nita, who are resisting God's word and God's will, who are running from his authority, but they do it all the while looking like they're keeping the rules. They resist God's authority. They run from obedience and service to him, but they're really nice and polite about it. 
Some seem even very religious and put together and very moral. And yet they too, like rebels, are running from going to where God wants them to go and doing what God wants them to do. And if we are honest with ourselves, while we all were at one time rebels, we all still at times are tempted to be runners who run from God's word, who run from God's will, who want to run from God's authority in our lives. But the glorious thing that we will see in the story of Jonah the thing that will be put front and center uh, you know, on display for us to behold, for us to enjoy, even if we can't fully understand it, is God's far-reaching, persistent grace to both rebels and runners. God's grace, we're just going to be able to enjoy it. I'm telling you, we're not going to be able to fully understand it, but I want us to be able to enjoy God's persistent grace to both rebels and and runners. So we're going to intro Jonah a little bit here this morning, and then we'll jump into the first three verses. Um, so a little bit on, on the book of Jonah. Some, some modern uh, recent scholars have made a push to really view the story of Jonah as simply an allegory or a parable, kind of a, a made-up story to give us some, to teach us some good truth, all right? And the reason that that's developed is that, as with a lot of things in the Bible, a lot of times modern scholars and things have difficulty believing in some supernatural, miraculous events. Right? And so they have an issue with how in the world can Jonah be in the belly of a great fish for three days? Okay? Now, I, I believe we need to reject that view that this is just a, simply an allegory or a parable or anything like that. Uh, the whole scripture and the whole course of world history are, are, is full of miraculous supernatural events, okay? And so I have no plans to try to go into like a scientific defense of how Jonah, uh, it all worked when he was in the belly of the great fish for three days. Uh, I think we can be content to say that that is a miraculous event, and God's word is full of miraculous events. But it's honestly probably not even the most miraculous event. I would say even more miraculous than that is when the Ninevites repent, right? Uh, and, and when things start changing for Jonah. I would say this, the, the scripture is full of miraculous events, all right? So there are lots of reasons that we should not just view Jonah as an allegory or as a parable, but these are actual historical events, okay? Some of those reasons are just from the way that Jonah is written, right? This starts out not like a parable or allegory starts out. This starts out with the word of the Lord coming to a prophet of God, all right? That is, that is not typical of an allegory or a parable. We see Jonah mentioned in 2 Kings, which we'll get to in a little bit later, but we see the prophet Jonah mentioned in 2 Kings as an actual historical prophet. But the biggest argument for Jonah, I think, not being an allegory or a made-up story, is the way that Jesus refers to Jonah. We see in Matthew 12, which we'll have up on the screen, Matthew 12, and starting in verse 39, that Jesus refers to the historical events of Jonah as foreshadowing his death and resurrection. We read in Matthew 12, 39, but he answered them, Jesus answers them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, just as Jonah was literally and historically in the belly of a great fish, so will Jesus literally and historically be in the grave and then will rise again. 
And then, jo- and then Jesus goes on to reference another group of people in the story of Jonah that were not fictional, but were actually uh, historical people and that will be raised up at the end time. And so he says in verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with, the ge- with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, the Ninevites, these are actual historical, real people rising up at the judgment. And then notice how he ends that. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And church, that's my prayer for us, that those words would echo and reverberate in our minds and our hearts as we read Jonah and preach Jonah, that we would just be hearing it over and over. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. All right, so we should not read this as an allegory, but as a prophetic narrative. That would be the genre that this book is in. These are actual historical, literal events that took place. Jesus saw Jonah and the Ninevites as being actual people and not just an elaborate parable. Now, the title of this morning's sermon is uh, We've Got a Runner. We've Got a Runner. Because in these first three verses, we see God's word come to Jonah. And then we see Jonah try to run. And as we walk through these first three verses, my prayer and my my hope for us this morning is that we will uncover some of the deeper heart issues that causes someone to think that they can run from God. All right, because a a lot is happening there and a lot is happening in our hearts when we think we can run from God. And so I want to expose some of those this morning uh, uh, so that we might not continue to be runners. All right? So Jonah 1, verse 1. Look with me at God's word. Jonah 1, verse 1. says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, first of all, just notice what grace this is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Church, we have a God who speaks. He's not silent. He's revealed himself to us and he brings his word to us. And in order to, but but in order to fully see this grace that was being shown to Jonah and uncover the heart issues of runners, uh, let's understand first who Jonah is, okay? Because finding out someone's past is always very clarifying and helping us understand why they're doing what they're doing in the present. Right? I mean, that's just some practical wisdom. If you're unsure about why someone is doing what they're doing, find out about their past, right? There's, so, so let's do this, okay? Um, we don't know a ton about Jonah's past, all right? But he is mentioned one other time in the Old Testament, and we find that in 2 Kings 14, uh, starting in verse 23, which we'll have up on the screen, all right? So stick with me through some of these names, and I'll explain what this, what this all means. But this is the other spot in the Old Testament we, we hear about Jonah. In 2 Kings 14, it says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned forty-one years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. However, all right, even though we've got an evil king here doing, doing evil and wickedness in the sight of the Lord, verse 25, however, he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, 
the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. All right? Stick with me. I know there's a lot there. What we learn from 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Kings excuse me, 14 is that God had already graciously spoken to and through Jonah in the past. All right, we come to Jonah 1 verse 1 and we think it's the start of the story. It might be the start of the story for us, but it's not the start of Jonah's story, okay? God had already come to Jonah and graciously spoken to him and through him. And he had done so in a very unique and gracious way. God had used him to prophesy during the time of an evil king, but he does not give him a word of warning and judgment, which was typical of the prophets. That's what you'd expect. No, Jonah got to prophesy good news in the midst of an evil king that the boundaries of the territory of Israel were going to be enlarged and reestablished. All right? He's, he's getting a, a good word to bring an evil king and nation. All right? And then get this, the prophecy then comes true fairly quickly, giving Jonah the credibility and popularity as a true prophet of God, right? That was one of the marks of a true prophet versus a false prophet is if their word came true. And sometimes you had to wait years and years for that to happen. But for Jonah, this happened fairly quickly, right? He prophesied this and then it happened. And so Jonah was likely a very popular prophet in his time, right? I mean, he would have been getting some airtime on the local television. The political ruling class would have really liked him. I mean, they would want to keep this guy around. All these other prophets are all kind of doom and gloom guys. But this guy's like prophesying our boundaries going to be expanded and, and then it happens and all this good stuff. And so Jonah is, is living in a time of Jeroboam II where, where this was an evil king and yet there were some days of great prosperity. There were some days of national pride and Jonah was right in the mix of it. That's where Jonah's at. Prophesying good news to an evil king and there's some success and popularity and prosperity that's happening around Jonah. That's what Jonah's in the midst, midst of. That's his past. What else do we know about Jonah? Well, we know he's from this town, Gath-Hefer, which doesn't mean much to us. Uh, at least it doesn't mean to me until we understand that that town is three miles away from Nazareth in the region of Galilee. All right? So when the Pharisees said in John seven fifty two that search and see no prophet arises from Galilee, uh, they were wrong. All right? Jonah comes from Galilee which is really interesting and will be important for us as we move along and consider how Jonah is foreshadowing and pointing to the coming of Christ, which we know grew up in Galilee, all right? So that's Jonah's past. That's where he's coming from. Uh, but let's think real briefly about his future, all right? What happens to Jonah? What do we know about Jonah's future? Do things turn out well for Jonah? And we don't really know for certain. Uh, the story leaves us hanging a bit. If you've gotten a chance to read it, which I encourage you to read this. Again, it takes less than 10 minutes to read this story in its entirety. Uh, you'll notice at the end of chapter 4, the story kind of leaves us hanging. We don't really know what becomes of Jonah. It, it's kind of an unusual ending where God ends on this note of concern for the beef in Nineveh, right? You can see it. Look at the end of Jonah chapter 4, right? He's, he's concerned about the beef, which makes me love him all the more, right? 
And, uh, but the book leaves us hanging as to the future of Jonah. But most people speculate, and I agree, that Jonah did come around to know and enjoy the grace and compassion of God. And the reason that most people think this is because we have the story of Jonah. <laughs> He's either the author of this, or he tells this story firsthand to someone who writes it down soon after. Because there's a lot in this story that only Jonah would be able to report on, right? And I, so I suspect things turned out for Jonah because he's either able to write this story or he's either able to tell this story to someone who writes it down. And he does so in a way in which he's okay being the one that we laugh at in the story. Right? I mean, he's, he's okay with it. His, so, so his future, it's sort of, we're sort of speculating, but I'm optimistic that he has matured now to the point where he is able to laugh at himself and write this story or tell this story of God's grace in his life. And I do believe that one of the marks of being mature in the faith is being able to laugh at yourself. Really, I really believe that. I mean, when you're, when you're first a born-again Christian, right? You're a little baby Christian. I mean, you don't know what's going on. You're just happy to be alive, right? You're just there, happy to be there, okay? Uh, but then you start learning some of the basic doctrines of, of uh, Scripture and of the faith and theology, and you start feeling like you can get your mind around it and get your hands around it. Then you start really taking yourself really seriously that you got, kind of got this all figured out, right? But then as you mature more, you learn more. And kind of the more you learn about God, the more you realize you don't know about God. And then God kind of humbles you and kind of graciously matures you to the point that you can kind of laugh at yourself and chuckle at your past. And while we should always be taking God seriously, sometimes we just need to not take ourselves as seriously. And so I think that's the, the mark of a mature believer. They take God and his word seriously, but themselves not so much. And so I think Jonah gets there. I think he gets there to be able to write the story of Jonah and to be able to laugh and chuckle at some of his past foolishness, uh, but to put God's grace on display for us to marvel at and enjoy here this morning. All right, so Jonah 1, verse 1. This is the start for us, but it's not the start for Jonah, right? God has already shown him incredible grace. God has already shown his nation, right, that, that, that has got an evil king, uh, idolatry happening. There's already been some grace shown to them in the midst of evil leadership. And so the first thing, if you're taking notes, the first thing that is typical of the heart of someone running from God's word and his will is that they have forgotten the magnitude of grace that has already been shown to them. That, that, that is typically in the heart of a runner. They have forgotten the magnitude of God's grace that has already been shown to them and that continues to be shown to them. I mean, Jonah has lived in a time of popularity and prosperity, and he has started to take the grace of God for granted. And what we'll see is that then he's going to have a hard time when he sees God extend grace to others because he forgets how much grace has already been extended to him. And aren't, aren't we at times the same? I've, I've, I've known for a while that I really think it would be good for us to preach through Jonah, but I'll be honest, I didn't want to go there because I am Jonah. And this is where one by one you stand up and say, no, I am Jonah, I am Jonah. No, I'm just kidding. 
But really, it's like, this is, this is kind of painful, right? We are Jonah. I am Jonah a lot of times. Uh, I forget, right, how much grace has been extended to me, and God continuously is extending and pouring out on me each and every day. I remember one summer in college, I had come home, uh, and I was uh, at home in the summer, and I ran into a classmate from high school, uh, who was not, not following Jesus in high school, but, but in his uh, college time, some guys witnessed to him in his dorm. Uh, he becomes a believer, and uh, so he comes home in the summer, and he was so excited to tell me because he knew I was a Christian. He knew I'd be excited for him, and so he comes. He runs into me. He says, Grant, I became a Christian. Like, I, I, I believe, like, and he tells me all that was happening, and, and, and don't get me wrong. A part of me was really excited for him, but, but, then, but then he kept going, and then something ugly really got exposed in my heart, okay? Because then he kept kind of went on and told me how then he was now leading a campus ministry, and the Lord was really seeming to work through him, and he had led a lot of people to faith, and God was kind of blessing this ministry, and the things were just very fruitful and happening. And, and, and I started to grow a bit jealous, and I started to grow a bit resentful, and I started to think thoughts of like, Come on, God, like, I followed you all through high school. I followed you ever since I could remember, right? I've got the, I've got the Awana medals to prove it. And that's no, that's, that's no knock on Awana. I didn't even, I don't know why I said that. No knock on Awana. No knock on Awana, all right? But, uh, but, but what, what was happening in my heart when I started in, in that moment? What was happening was, we, we've got a runner. We've got a runner. All right, because in that moment, I know God's word says to rejoice with those who rejoice. That would be God's word and God's will in that moment. I know Luke fifteen ten says that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's God's, that's God's word and that's God's will in that moment. They are clear. I should be joyful over hearing about God's grace and mercy being extended to this brother. But what is happening is in that moment is I have forgotten the magnitude of grace that God has already shown and continues to show to me. And God has had to continually humble me and show me that I needed just as much grace to save me from my self-righteous running as the Ninevites needed for their outright rebellion. Both runners and rebels need the persistent grace of God. But runners are more likely to forget that. And that, I believe, is, is a special point of emphasis the Lord has placed on my heart is to call church kids to repentance. Is to call the self-righteous runners to see their need for God's grace. Both runners and rebels need God's persistent grace. Runners are more likely to forget that because they've kept the speed limit and they use their turn signals. And so, church, this is why we must, pre we must preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another daily and remind ourselves of the magnitude of God's grace that we've received because if we don't, if we forget that, we will be more likely to run from God's word and God's will. Runners forget the magnitude of grace that God has shown and continues to show to them. Jonah has forgotten the grace he's received. 
And not only has he experienced God's compassion and grace to his people, right? There's there's been some temporal blessings there, even amongst an evil king and leadership. But God has also been incredibly gracious to him to call him into service as a prophet of God. I mean, that's a high calling. That's a special privilege. And not only was he just called to be a prophet of God and for God to speak through him, but God has spoken a really good word, like good news through him. Jonah has already been used by God in a great way. And so here's something else that, can, that we can see in the heart of runners, all right? This would be the second thing to watch out for and expose in the heart of someone prone to run, is that runners can mistake usefulness to God for communion with God. Runners can mistake usefulness to God for communion with God. Jonah has already been used by God for ministry in the past. He's got got a little resume to fall back on, right? And And he's living during a time of prosperity and national pride. And because of all that, because he's got a resume, because God has used him some in the past, he has now become complacent with his relationship with God, and he's not been communing with him. Now, why can I say that? Why can I say Jonah has not been communing with God? Why do I think that is a safe uh, thing to say? Because, because we will see quickly that his heart is nowhere close to being aligned with God's heart on some things. Like, not even in the same ballpark. Not even in the same universe. They are so far apart, the heart of God and the heart of Jonah, that we will see exposed in this story. There is nowhere close. I have to imagine that Jonah was not regularly communing with the Lord. Their hearts were not aligned. And so what happens with someone who is running from God's word and God's will and God's authority while still trying to keep some of the rules and follow the speed limit and use their turn signals and all that, what happens is that they have deceived themselves into thinking that doing things for God is an acceptable replacement for communing with God. And it's not. It's not. Doing things for God is not an acceptable replacement for communing with God. And this is a very serious thing that we have to expose in the hearts of people prone to run. It's what Jesus himself warned of in Matthew 7, verse 21, when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Like Jonah Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, something we all too quickly do in the church is we elevate someone because of their usefulness. But we neglect their actual communion with God. And then we wonder why at some point they run from the ministry or they run from their wife or they run from even their faith. And so when you are tempted to run from God's word and his will, in that moment, 
Sometimes you deceive yourself into thinking that your past usefulness to God excuses a little disobedience in the present, right? Because, hey, God, I mean, I've gone to church my whole life, you know. Just give me this, give me this one little thing here, right? I, I, oh, I've read the Bible before. I don't need to I don't need to be in it regularly, anything like that. I know what's in it. I've, I've heard these, all these sermons preached before. I know the story of Jonah, right? I remember it in Sunday school, all this stuff. Like, I've done a lot. I went on that mission trip. I gave that money. I've done all these things. If anything, God owes me in this moment, so I'm going to excuse myself to have a little bit of disobedience and, and, and seek some, some, some pleasurable sin in this moment. That's what we do. We deceive ourselves. We tell ourselves those things that somehow our past service and usefulness to God is an excuse for our present obedience and communion to him. And it's not. And so church, do not allow your past service to God. Excuse yourself from present obedience to communing with him and his word and his prayer. We need it each and every day. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that somehow that past work for God was a replacement for your present obedience and communion with him. We must be persistently in God's word because his word is one of the means by which he is being persistently gracious to us. If you want to experience the persistent grace of God in your life, open up his word. God's word has graciously come to Jonah once again, as it does to us every time we open up our Bibles and hear his word read or taught. I mean, just think what grace that this is, that we can open God's word and we can rightfully say, just like the book of Jonah starts out, now the word of the Lord comes to fill in the blank with your name. And then read on. Now the word of the Lord comes to grant. And read on. This is God's grace to us. This is his persistent grace to us. To bring us his word and to bring us preachers and teachers that can help teach and proclaim his word. So do not allow your past service to God. Excuse yourself from present obedience to communing with him in the word and in prayer. The question, though, then uh, arises, what happens when God's word graciously comes and we don't like what he says? I mean, can I admit that? Is, that? is this a safe place for me to admit that? That there's a lot of what God says that, I'll be honest, I don't initially like. It, it, it sometimes rubs me the wrong way. Sometimes I think he's just being mean, just trying to make the pastor's jobs hard. Like, give it to us a little clear, more clearer, right? And there are things that, 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 that my flesh want to fight against. So what happens when God's word comes and we don't like what it says? Well, Jonah's about to experience that. Look at verse 2. God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Right. Now, in any other, most other book of the Bible, any other prophet in the Bible, here's where you would expect the prophet to obey God, okay? Verse 3. That's what we should be expecting. Verse 3. But Jonah 
rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. I never realized how difficult it would be to say Tarshish that many times. All right. But I just realized it. Let me, uh, excuse me. Don't let me take you away from God's word. All right. But Jonah rose to flee, right? God tells Jonah something to arise and go to Nineveh and Jonah disobeys. He, he, this, this, this is a kind of a shocking part of the story. Really, everyone in the book of Jonah obeys God except Jonah. The wind, the fish, the Ninevites, the plant, the worm, all of them obey except the prophet of God. He does not, which makes it a little ironical, a little, you know, a little, little ironic, a little bit of satire, things like that, all right? But God tells Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh. Now, just to clarify, he's not talking about Nineveh, Indiana, okay? Uh, I was actually writing some of this after I'd met John uh, Spears outside of Camp Atterbury at uh, Johnson County Park, and I'm writing this, and I look up, and I see the sign, like, oh my goodness, I'm in Nineveh. This is happening right now, all right? But that's not the Nineveh we're talking about, okay? Uh, this Nineveh is located in modern-day Iraq, very close to the city of Mosul. Uh, Nineveh was one of the great cities of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were enemies of Israel. And eventually, years later, they would be the empire that would come and defeat the northern kingdom and carry off people into exile. And so some of the first readers of Jonah would have been people like after that exile, after the northern kingdom was defeated and all that, some of the first readers of the story of Jonah would see that, that, that how crazy this is of God's grace that God would commission a prophet to go to an enemy nation and call them to repentance so that through that God could show them grace. It's, it really is kind of unbelievable. And it was a mind-blowing shift for them and for us, for the people of God, as to how they were to view their enemies. It blows our minds. It changes everything. Because this was not just any other nation. The Assyrian Empire was known for its cruelty. I mean, they were a cruel, cruel, evil enemy. They, they did not just defeat people. They tortured them and humiliated them and shamed them and, and forced them into submission and, and world dominance, right? And, and so this is the place. This is not just like the, the neighbor that, uh, uh, I don't know, that, 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 that is a little awkward and you're not sure about them, right? This is like, this is their enemy, a cruel, cruel enemy, and he calls Jonah to go. But Jonah doesn't want to go. And so he heads down to Joppa to hop on a ship to run from the presence of the Lord. Now, we don't know exactly where Tarshish is. It was likely in Spain somewhere or somewhere on the western part of the Mediterranean. Uh, essentially, what you need to know, we'll have a map up here. Um, you see kind of there the circle. That's where Jonah is in Joppa. Uh, God tells him to go this way, and he goes that way. <laughs> that's, the, that's the main point. I know everyone can't see the map. I'll summarize, right? God tells him to go this way, and he goes that way. And so already in the story, us as readers should be a bit taken by surprise. We have the word of the Lord coming to a prophet, and it's not even really like an unclear, cryptic word. It's a pretty clear word, right? This isn't a question of interpretation or anything like that. It's very clear, but Jonah disobeys. He doesn't like it. 
And the reader then is sort of invited at this point of the story to speculate as to why Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. I mean, they were a cruel people. I imagine they were not the best audience to preach to, right? I mean, Jonah was used to preaching where he was popular and people liked what he had to say and stuff like that. Now he's called to go preach to the Ninevites. That's, uh, that's different, right? Uh, maybe there was a little bit of fear that Jonah had. I mean, they could kill him and torture him and something like that, be really cruel to him. Not only that, I mean, what would his buddies in the northern kingdom think? How would this affect his popularity or his political power or anything like that for him to show concern and to go to an enemy nation? But if you've, if you've read the story of Jonah, you know that we actually don't have to speculate too much. Those might all be secondary and tertiary issues maybe going on in the back of Jonah's mind, but Jonah uh, uh, tells us himself. Uh, so flip over to, to, to Jonah chapter 4, all right? Jonah tells us himself why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And I know this is sort of kind of a spoiler to the story, uh, but we, we're only going to spend like seven weeks in Jonah, so let's just get right to it, all right? Let's, let's put all the cards on the table here. There's no need to speculate. In chapter 4, verse 2, we find that Jonah has finally gone and preached to Nineveh. The Ninevites repent and God relents. But Jonah is angry. And he says in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God calls and commissions Jonah because God wants to be gracious to the Ninevites, but Jonah doesn't want that to happen. And Jonah thinks that he knows better that he knows better what's best for him and that he knows better for what's best for Israel and that he knows justice better than God does and that he knows righteousness better than God does and so on. And so Jonah runs and he refuses to serve God in this way. When we think or when we don't like what God is doing and we run from obeying and serving him, that oftentimes springs from us thinking that we know better than God, right? That's, that's kind of the third thing I want to uncover and expose in the heart of a runner. Runners think they know better. They think they know better. Jonah, Jonah doesn't like this. Jonah thinks he knows better than God about what justice looks like and what's going to be best for him and his people and all this stuff. When we run from God's word and his will, when we resist his authority, a lot of times it's because we think we know better. We know better what's going to bring us pleasure. We know better what's going to make us happy. We know better as what, to what's going to satisfy us, right? We know better as to what is going to be for, we want a better future. We know better than our pastors. We know better than our parents. We know better than our city groups. We know better than our brothers and sisters who lovingly have circled us up and said, hey, I think we've got a runner here. We're concerned. But we don't listen because we think we know better. This is why runners very rarely ask for anyone for advice. 
They don't ask the Lord for advice in prayer. They don't ask, ask other people for advice. Why? Because they know better. Who am I going to ask? I know better. And we don't listen. We don't, because we think we know better. We're not going to obey and serve God because we know better. God, listen, this is what Jonah doesn't understand. God has a plan for Nineveh and for Jonah and, and for his people and for the world. Jonah can't see it, though. God, God knows that Jonah needs Nineveh just as much as Nineveh needs Jonah. All right, this is God's grace to, to everyone in this story, all right? Even to the, the, the sailors, right, which we'll get to next week. God knows these things that, that Jonah doesn't know and that he can't see, and he brings this word to Jonah, and Jonah thinks he knows better, and so he foolishly attempts to run from the presence of God. You see, someone who's prone to run, they think they know better instead of being willing to trust the omniscience of God, that he is all-knowing, that he knows he knows what we don't know. He sees what we don't see. Can we trust him in that? But when we run, we're not trusting his omniscience. We think we know better. And uh, then we run and we foolishly attempt to run from the presence of God. We'll talk even more about this next week as well. Uh, but running or hiding from the presence of God is sort of like a child playing hide-and-seek and closing their eyes and thinking that if dad can't see them, uh, then, uh, or if they can't see dad, then dad can't see them, right? That's sort of what it's like. It's sort of silly, right? But this, this happens many times in our sin. Uh, uh, when we sin, when we're tempted to sin, a lot of times it's us wrongly believing in that moment that God can't see what we're doing, that God's not there. We're not enjoying his omnipresence, that God is all places. And this is, I mean, isn't this the whole reason that we even have things like accountability and we, we try to have people together in certain situations and that's a thing. I mean, ideally, you would be able to live obediently even when no one is watching because you know that God is there with you, that God is omnipresent. But because we still battle sin, because we still deceive and lie to ourselves to successfully think we can run from God with our eyes closed, uh, we, we have to then get other people with us to provide accountability and to remind us that we are not alone, that God is with, with us there in that moment as well. And so Jonah, I mean, if he's thinking clearly, he knows he really can't escape the presence of God, but he's going to try anyway because he doesn't like what God is doing. And so when God's word comes and we don't like what it says, the only way we can really run is to try to forget his omnipresence. It's to close our eyes and run and to try to forget that he is the all places at all times. And so we do this, uh, we try to run from his word. We try to run from anything that would rem remind us of God's presence, right? So we run from the church. We run from our brothers and sisters. We, we run from uh, 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 spending time in his word and his prayer. We run from anything that would remind us of God. And listen, the, the, the call to go to Nineveh, I get it, is, it's a little bit of a crazy big call. And I can understand why Jonah doesn't like it. And I can understand why he doesn't understand it. 
But what should outweigh and trump all his feelings and his confusion is what he knows to be true. And that is that God is all-knowing and that God is omnipresent. Right? He should be able to trust God's omniscience and enjoy his omnipresence. And if God has called him there, then God will be with him there. And God knows and sees things that Jonah can't know or see. And that should be enough, regardless of how he feels or what he understands. And so right now, I want you to consider for a moment, what are some things that God has called you to do that you just don't want to do? Could this be an opportunity to trust his omniscience and to enjoy his omnipresence? Are there places he's called you to go that you just don't want to go? Are there conversations you know you're supposed to have that you just don't want to have? I just don't want to go there. Are there neighbors you know you're supposed to love that you just don't want to love? Are there people you know you need to pray for that you just you don't want to pray for? Church, if God has called you there, then God will be with you there. And God knows what will be there with you as well. And that should be enough. What we know about God, trusting his omniscience, enjoying his omnipresence, that should be enough regardless of how we feel or, how, or what we think we can understand or not understand. And so to kind of summary and recap the heart of a runner, church, when we run from God's word and God's will, when we resist his authority in our life, it happens typically when we've forgotten the magnitude of grace that has been shown to us. It happens when we have allowed our past service to God excuse us from present communion with God. It happens when we wrongly think that we know better than God and His people. And when we do, when we run, we miss out on the joy of living in the presence of the Lord. The presence of God should be a, something that was to be enjoyed. When you are running from God, the thought of God's presence is a fearful thing. But when you are resting in God, the presence of God, it just brings you joy. Brings you joy. It brings you peace. But church, how often are we like Jonah? But take heart. Because someone greater than Jonah is here. Amen? I mean, even though we've got runners and rebels in here, we have also got a Savior that we cannot outrun. And just like the Word came to Jonah, so too the Word of God became flesh and came to us. And Jesus willingly went where the Father had appointed Him to go. And He went to the cross, and He endured the wrath that our sin deserved. And by doing so, He has removed our sin, guilt, and shame. He has removed what separated us from God. He was not content to leave us on the ship sailing away from His presence, but He has graciously united us to Himself. And after rising from the dead... He has now been joyfully pursuing and forgiving his enemies and welcoming us into his family. Amen?
And so praise God, church, that his grace is great enough to welcome runners and rebels into his kingdom. Let's pray.